I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello? Hello? Podcast Network Asia. Obviously, mobility was 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 affected, and that's why we're we're planning a lot of public spaces. But one thing that we're seeing also that you know that that township development needs is affordable housing. You know, I mean, if you think about it, most of the major CBDs, in terms of being able to accommodate the retail and service people that are you know manning the stores, you know, those people live two hours away, three hours away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're if you if you're to become a truly you know pandemic resilient city, those people live to be able to to be able to be live near. And good evening, welcome to another episode of the RJ Ledesma podcast. I am RJ Ledesma. Welcome again to this podcast. It's a little bit muggy this Tuesday evening, but you know what? We will keep you guys entertained thoroughly tonight with a really great great story. I am so happy to have my guest here tonight. Uh, we share many commonalities. Uh, our love of real estate. Uh, we both went to uh, LaSalle Green Hills for our grade school and high school. And we both share the same master's degree. We both graduated from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology with a degree in real estate development. So, you know, we've had many points of convergence. And this will be the first time that I'll have a chance to drill down and really ask him great questions about real estate development, an industry that and a professional that I love very, very much. But before that, allow me to fully introduce my uh, guest here for this evening. Now, before that, in the RJ Ladesma podcast, I interview the country's pioneering business personalities and entrepreneurs and learn more about how they think about business, what are their success secrets, how they've innovated their businesses during this pandemic, and more importantly, What opportunities do they see emerging in the new normal? Now, is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the show? Please let me know. Just drop me a message. I would love to interview them. We are also live right now on Kumu, CBRC TV, Global Pinas TV, and now on Bounce Back Network. Tonight, we have got one of the youngest, if not the youngest, property CEO in the Philippines for one of the largest real estate development companies here in the country. Now, he may be one of the youngest, but he's got over 19 years worth of experience in financial analysis, leasing and brokerage development, project management, and property management. He is Delphine Angelo, or better known as Buds Wenceslao. He is of uh, he is in DM Wenceslao and Associates, which has become one of the country's largest publicly listed integrated real estate development and construction companies. DMS Aslao is also the owner and master developer of the mixed-use district Ashana City. I'm sure you guys have dropped by Ashana City over here in Manila, which is envisioned to be the entertainment and lifestyle center of the Philippines. And I'm very curious to find out what Bud is doing for the project, especially now that we are in the new normal. Will it still be? the next entertainment and lifestyle center of the Philippines. What have they done to pivot the business and make sure that it continues to survive and thrive here in the new normal? With that, please welcome my good friend, Buds. When's this now, Buds? Welcome. Thanks so much for joining me here on the show. Thanks, RJ. Thanks for having me, man. It's, it's a great, great of you to invite me. I know we've been meaning to catch up for such a long time. It's great to finally be able to do this show. It's, it's, I'm, I'm really so happy to have you over here. You know, the, the great thing about Buds is that we share so many common experiences, although it might not look at it, but we are actually generations apart, me Buds, you know, but then we've got not, a common experience. Not, 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 not that far, not that far, but you've got the same thing, uh, same experience for high school, same experience for our graduate school, right? And, and, you know, the way that we look at real estate is maybe the same in some aspects, but you've got a larger bird's eye perspective of, what real estate is like in the Philippines. And many pe- people are 
very curious right now as to the state of real estate development, especially in light of this pandemic and the new normal. But before we start, buds, you know, I mean, people here might not might not be too familiar with DM Wenceslao, but what they might be more familiar with is Asiana City. And, you know, the scope of this project is just totally mind-boggling. Can you tell us a bit more about what Asiana City is all about? Yeah, sure. Uh, th- thanks, RJ. You know, um, obviously, you know, this is our company's um, or our family's flagship project. You know, the main difference between Asiana City and our flagship projects within other developments that we actually get got to see this project from water. You know, being a reclamation wow. company, we were actually um, one who reclaimed this um, this property into land. And it's only now that we're seeing it into fruition as we go from water to land and now to buildings and to basically building a whole community. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's been a pretty long journey for the company. You know, we started in 1965 from just doing roads, you know, being government contractors to expanding into marine construction and uh, land banking. And now, you know, out of necessity, we've, uh, we've already transformed into doing real estate development, you know, to, to, uh, doing this, not just, uh, uh, small, small buildings to office buildings. To everything that you would see in a whole community, obviously we've taken, uh, we've just graduated from obviously from just doing infrastructure. Now we're doing residential developments, retail developments. Yes, we're doing you know uh, public spaces like parks. Obviously, we've taken a lot of time to to handle to also take a look at transport planning within the area. So it's just a it's just a, a gradual transformation from being just a, a general contractor, a construction company to uh, to being a fully integrated real estate company. Wow, that, that that's quite a journey, and I want I want to be able to to dissect each of those pieces together because there's a whole story from being a water reclamation contractor to becoming a residential and real estate developer, and and thirty years. So let's go. Let's let's talk about what's happening here right now. Your your crown jewel right now of Diemenseslau is Ashana City, right? And, and that's a bit more about uh, Ashana City. I mean, there's so many people. Uh, there are so many what we call uh, you know township developments. There are so many residential developments. But what is Ashana City, and what makes it stand out from all the other developments here right now in, in Metro Manila? I think you know. I mean, it goes a lot into our heritage, being an infrastructure company, and we've seen a lot of um, developments. Obviously, um, there's a lot of other townships in the area, but Ashana City is the currently the, you know the last remaining. It's one of the last remaining largest landmass in the city that remains undeveloped. So, you know, our company, where we stand from, I mean. Anywhere else you look in the world, obviously, you always see that the ones facing, you know, some body of water is always the most prime development. That's right. And I think all of our, all of the, all of the developments that you see right now is obviously mixed use. But one of the major, um, anchors that we see is there's a big entertainment anchor within that area. Obviously, you have the, um, integrated resorts, the casinos, you have the, you have retail with, with obviously the biggest malls there. So we're basically building the anchors to feed these developments. That's why we're focused on mostly office and uh, residential developments. But, you know, that being said, you know, we want to make it a holistic development. That's why even the park system where we're putting in, you know, um, digital uses like churches, um, sidewalks and all of these uh, areas to make it a complete community. Obviously, we've also um, attracted schools like uh, like uh, North Anglia and Singapore schools. So, we want to make it into a vibrant community, so we're we're attracting all of these different anchors. Well, this is fantastic because if you think about the incubation period, which was quite some for quite some time, about thirty years, uh, the way that you develop it is it's a it's nice because you're playing with like uh, you know if we both have a degree in real estate development, this is like city planning from the from scratch, and it's it's fantastic because it's like you're you're literally playing. I, I would call it monopoly. Like, you know, you're putting the pieces together and, and it's like it's like Lego building a city from scratch the way that you'd like to build it. Absolutely. You know, over the years, as we as we develop the city, you know, we see things that we that we need to be able to complete the to complete the, uh, the execution of our of our projects. And you know, over time from just being just doing roads, then all of a sudden we started needing architects. And now we have interior designers, we even have horticulturists within the within wow. our with our own teams, everything that we need to complete the execution of the master plan of ASEAN, it's, it's something we've already put inside the company. Well, and that's a bit more about, uh, you know, what I, I've seen ASEAN, and, you know, what, what I see over there is the largest Ayala Malls in the Philippines. You know? But aside from that one, there's a lot of great projects that you're, you're doing inside ASEAN. Uh, among all these different projects, uh, what do you find to be uh, sort of like 
if if it's a if it's a crown, which 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 are the jewels in the crown in Ashana right now that you are particularly proud of? I'm sure the Manila Bay, uh, Ayala's Manila Bay project is one of them. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, obviously we're building a lot of recurring income projects, mostly office. But I would have to say the most, uh, I think uh, the most uh, important or the crown jewel that we're we're uh, on task right now is is Sparkal. I think I, I've told you about this project mm-hmm. before. You know, it's our it's our first uh, public space slash retail slash commercial project. You know, in this age of the of COVID, I mean, I think everybody realized as a need to be to be able to find some semblance of outdoor public space, especially in you know in in high density townships. And then, you know, it's, it's only, it's, it's also very timely. Like when we developed this project, it's basically, we never knew that obviously that COVID, what was going to happen. But, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. a parkal project, it's a, if you, if you see it, it's basically a mix of a park, a street and commercial buildings. And what you have is that you have these nine individual buildings with a park in between them and that's covered by a canopy. So, you know, think of thinking of it being uh, thinking of people looking for outdoor space. You know, it will be able to accomplish that. At the same time, it will be interconnected. All of these nine buildings will be interconnected on the second floor. It will be interconnected to the higher density buildings we're building around it. And uh, we're pretty sure it's going to uh, tap a much needed space that everybody's looking for right now. Wow! So uh, this is this is that's for me is pretty mind blowing. That that's a great project which is going to take several years actually to finish. And when when I when I look at it, actually, actually it's finishing. It's finishing next year. Wow, next well, next year, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now uh, and uh, hopefully, I, I hope to bring uh, the Mercato Central over there as well to park uh, up. Absolutely, you know, there's there's four plazas there, and we're we're uh, obviously looking for a lot of a uh, a smaller a smaller locator, especially from the food industry, to be able to cater to that market. Excited about the project. And, and having said that, no, but. Uh, just to clarify the difference, no, uh, there's Diamanceslau and there's Ashana. So Diamanceslau is still a, a contractor, basically, is it a general contractor? And Diamanceslau, uh, and then Ashana is uh, is a sort of like a real estate developer. How does that work? What's the relationship between both? So Diamanceslau is basically the the mother company, right? So mm-hmm. it basically it basically has uh, several development arms under it, namely uh, one for. Uh, office, one for uh, residential, you know, other, uh, our, one of our uh, other uses are obviously for our real estate services on the property management, pro- property management side also. So all of these services are what completes the entire, uh, DMYS Wow. Right now, no, I'm looking at it. It's a reclaimed area. Give us a good feel of just how large that reclaimed area is. Well, when, when, when you were given that area, what, what exactly comprises, not just Ashana, but the reclaimed area of Diamanceslau there uh, in Manila? So the entire 204 hectares that we reclaim, that, in, that encompasses some of the areas uh, of uh, Pagro Entertainment City, including Solaire, City of Dreams, and uh, portions of, uh, I think, uh, even the even resorts world. What's the what left with the company is are, are mostly the private areas that see right now the Ayalamos, uh Bay Area, the the DFA Passport Plaza there, uh, the schools that you see, Singapore School, North Anglia, SNR. So those are the areas that are still in private hands. So when you reclaim, basically a portion of it will go to the government. So that share that went to the government became the entertainment city and all the public roads. Yeah, and then um. How much of the area right now uh, that's privately held by Diamanceslau has been developed and how much more is there to develop in the area? So there's still a lot left in the um, land bank. So we still have, a, we, from the total Diamanceslau assets, about 57 hectares. Roughly a half of that is still undeveloped. So we're looking to develop that over the year term. You know, you know we have a five-year pipeline of um, developing, selling, and leasing. And right now we're on track to uh, build roughly 300,000 square meters within the next Four years and roughly, uh, five, uh, roughly about five hectares left for uh, leasing and selling. The rest is still for uh, future plans. Well, so I guess you won't be sleeping for the next couple of years, uh, but it, it sounds like it. <laughs> Absolutely, I, you know. I think this this project will be it's a it's a it's a lifetime project, and uh, you know, to be quite frank, I think uh, it's it's going to encompass even even our generation, RJ. That's right. Now, having said that, no, the interesting thing about this project, like you said, Parkal has been has been in, in pipeline, and by in by next year, it's going to come online already. It's going to be up. But at the same time, no, one of the things I'm most interested with is that you know when the pandemic hit, this area was supposed to be the enter- like you were saying, the entertainment and lifestyle center. You were trying to 
create a new nucleus for that area uh, here. No? How exactly did the pandemic affect you? I, I guess in terms of leasing out office office space, residential space, and more importantly, also making it that, that nucleus for the lifestyle and entertainment center. Did did this pandemic change your plans in any way? Um, obviously, you know, we're, we were we had several um, locators across different industries. You know, from uh, from logistics companies to traditional companies. We had a lot of uh, retail developments. You know, we had event centers, schools. Everything you name it, you know, we we had it. So all of these industries were hit in some way. But again, you know, since we're building a complete township, I think it's one of the major advantages of of building a, a total mixed use community. So at least for most of our locators, we had different uses, you know, from groceries um to to essential services and essential, you know, essential products. So we were able to uh, basically pivot at, right away and most of our business locators were able to especially even our residential locators had all of the essential needs that were in the community itself you know not that that being said you know not just within our own development but just within the neighboring communities obviously the bay area you have all these large malls and and those have uh, those have been able to uh, to serve the residents of asiana Wow, so it wasn't it wasn't a difficult pivot because basically the, the sort of ecosystem that was needed was already in place for the longer yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know I think we I think we make it a point also to have retail available on all the ground floor spaces of our building. So all of those uh, ground floor locators were able to service most of the business and uh, residential residents of, of the of Asiana City. But how about in terms of the the lifestyle and entertainment portion? Let's say. Uh, we know that there's there was a lot of gaming. I don't know if any of the gaming is under under the private sec, the, the private land that, that that's in the area there right now. But there's a lot of entertainment that was going on. Was that affected uh, in any way by the pandemic? Because obviously we were backing on a lot of international tourism coming to the area and, and that stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's a uh, it's a uh, to be guided about. I mean, without the international uh, visitors coming, you know, um, there's there's gaming and. Uh, uh, hospitality sector in that area has been hit. You know, I don't know if people know, but you know, actually, sixty percent of all future hotel supply is actually coming up in that area. Not just the ones beside the casinos, but even the the three star, two star hotels are also within that area. But the good thing is, you know, those hotels have been able to serve the the quarantine requirements of of, of the of the country, and a lot of them have been able to build, to pivot to do that. Wow. Hello there, Chinky Tan here, motivational speaker, wealth coach, best-selling author, and now host of Chink Positive Podcast, a podcast that aims to help you to become wealthy and debt-free by teaching you on how to save, budget, get out of debt, and invest. Powered by Podcast Network Asia, available on wherever you get your podcasts. See you there. So really great story right now. It, it seems to be that you're on the way over there, budget. You've got a uh, you know you've got a bright future ahead for for DMS But there was a time, no? I mean, and we've we've had this conversation in the past when things weren't that easy. Like we said, no, going back to the when you summarize the whole history of the company DMS now when you started off, you were reclaiming land from water, and it took about thirty years. It was your grandfather's time, and. It, it didn't seem to be, you know, it wasn't picking up un- until recently. Let's, let's let's step back a bit more. No, um, can you tell us a bit more about the, the genesis? I mean, wh- when it started off, give us a bit of a history lesson. When when was this property being reclaimed? I guess this was the Marcos era, right? When, when this property was still being looked at and, and you know for possibility of reclamation. Actually, you know, so we we started reclaiming during um, Cory Aquino time. This was in oh, the okay. 90s. This was in the late eighties when we got the contract to to the start of the nineties. So yeah, I mean when we when we got there, there was basically a hole there that we needed to fill up. So you know, uh, you know, being a an infrastructure uh, entrepreneur, you know, my, our our chairman, my, my dad, just you know, just wanted to fill up the hole, sell the land, and move on to another project. You know, as a construction company, that that was his that was his mantra. We were we weren't realistic developers. So when we filled so, the so hole, you were you were you were just you were really contractors, general basically general contractors yeah. doing during that time. What were the other projects that he was doing? Let's give me an idea. What are the projects like that they were doing at that time? And then he well, took on this project. Uh-oh. You know, it's mostly horizontal. I mean, we were doing like the Alabang Zapote Road. You know, mostly uh, you know horizontal highways and and these types of projects. We were doing some housing, but mostly just mostly government projects on uh, like highways and uh, and uh, infrastructure projects. Like uh, some dredging here, um, 
some uh, some pile driving. Uh, we do a lot of, until now. Actually, we still do a lot of pile driving. But he was never planning to develop. He was just trying to fill up the hole and basically sell the portion that he was going to get and then move on to the next construction project. But you know, it was this when we finished. This was uh, you know 1997. It was the Asian financial crisis. So everybody that we tried to offer the land to, you know. Uh, in some way, we're either not interested or because it was not the right time. So it was only in the like early 2000 when you just said, you know what, I think we just we should, we should just start doing this ourselves. And that's when we started finding uh, locators to lease the bin. And the first one was actually SNR. The SNR in Asiana there was, uh, was, 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 I think, the first major locator in, in that area. So that's been there since uh, early 2000s. Well, and... and- I, you know that, that was that was quite a incubation period because if you think about it, that you were given the project in the nineteen eight, I guess during the, the during the Aquino administration, the first one was about nineteen eighty seven to eighty eight eighty nine, finished in, in ten years. Uh, I mean that's that's really cash flow. That's really cash flow out at that time, no. And and how did the company uh, survive? Uh, I mean, so company I guess survive at the time. Did you have other, other multiple projects that helped subsidize the development of this uh, of this reclaimed area? To sheer luck, I, I think that, that that's the answer to that. You know, I'm never too, uh, too shy to admit that things, you know, uh, during that time, I think the saying is kawit patalem, right? Oh. So we would, you know, we would sell a, a small property here. We would lease several, uh, of property there to maybe a gas station. But, you know, all, all in this time, just, 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 just trying to uh, keep afloat, right? It was only in the, in the mid 2000s when we started seeing much activity, you know, as, uh, as, a lot of the leaders started coming in, you know, uh, from the gas stations to the one-story, two-story restaurants. Then all of a sudden, you know, things started picking up. People started buying, you know, some some developers started buying land and putting up condos. And then, you know, after after we saw most of the development in the major CBDs get filled up, then that's when you see where we saw prices started going substantially up. You know, from 2000, I think 2006 to now. Prices have been increasing, you know, roughly at about up to 20, uh, 20% year on year, compounded annually. So, and that's when we, we saw that, you know, over time, the real estate portion of the business was now starting to encompass the construction part. In 2013, construction was still 80% of our top line. By 2015, construction was already less than 10% of our top line. That's how, that's how fast, you know, that's how fast real estate overtook up the, that, that portion of the business. It was like, could you wait? In other words, like, may PC ba kayo? Mahabawin PC ninyo hanggang umabot sa inyo yung, yung, yung pace ng development uh, from, from, I guess, from, from moving outwards from Makati. Is that right? That, that's how I see it, no? There was a time, I remember, you know, our chairman would say, no, let's not sell. Let's wait for the price to go up to 100,000 per square. At the time, the price was like 50,000. That's not going to happen in the, like, the next 20 years. We would argue with our chairman, with our, with our dad. No, that's never going to happen. That's going to happen maybe when we're all old. But within three years time, the price went up to 120,000 per square. Parang we were surprised at how fast it went up. Wow. But where came the point for you, no? That when we were looking at the property, this is the very interesting story that you said that you moved from being a, a, a water or, or, you know, I could call it a land developer or a reclaimed land developer. And you finally made that leap to say, okay, let's try development. When, when did that point come for you guys in, in that conversation or in, in looking at the company? I think, you know, when we built our first office building, um, I, oh, yeah, I named Asiana one. It, it was, you know, we were writing probably the second or third office building there. And we were, we were pretty conservative. You know, we, we, we didn't put too much glass because we were worried that the, the, you know, we weren't able to, to, uh, to make up the returns for it. But, you know, within one year's time, that, that building was, uh, was fully leased out. Then we built our second office building, you know, okay, let's put in more glass. Since, uh, <laughs> let's put some, let's put some more marble in the, in the lobbies because, uh, you know, it, it seems like there's a demand for it. And, you know, before that building got finished, it was fully leased out. Then the third office building, okay, let's make it all glass. <laughs> right, make it even nicer. Then there, while we were still finishing, somebody got seventy percent of the space, and you know, and the rest they say is history. You know, we again we we went into residential, and within uh, a year's time, we had fully sold out the residential. Then that's what we decided. You know, it seems like we're selling our we're selling our long term potential by selling land to fund our short term growth when we're doing the buildings. 
So that's when we decided that you know, I think it's we have enough uh, track record to uh, to go public, so that we don't need to sell that much land anymore. And that and that's been uh, that was a strategy in 2017. That's why we we went public. We were able to raise enough cash flow, and that's why even now, even during the pandemic, we're still aggressively building our development pipeline without needing to sell our land back or sell the land, back, or, or or increase our our debt coverage or our leverage levels to to uh, to precarious levels. So even now we're we're still at a very uh, conservative we still have a very conservative balance sheet and you know moving forward I think we're we're good for the next five years. Yeah. This is very interesting. So actually, if you go visit Ashana right now, you can see the progression of uh, of the how prosperous the company got or how 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 the economic fortunes improved by the quality of the buildings. The more glass, the improved talaga yung 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 economic fortunes of of Ashana. Is that right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just at the same time, you know, I mean. We wanted to uh, obviously invite to. We wanted to compete with the other CBDs, and we wanted to make the buildings work glass. And you know, I mean, RJ, we, we we you know we having had exposure to other international developments. I mean, we see we see best practices, and we see how to increase the values. I mean, if if I had just one property, maybe I just you know I just try to make it most cost effective to get the increased returns. But obviously, since we have a larger land back, we want to make sure. That over time the the project will be we build or add more value to the to the remaining land bank that we have. When was that inflection point, buds? Let's say when when you were doing it. I mean, you know, I often talk to many entrepreneurs, and and this is like a fa- this is like a family business it was very entrepreneurial at that point because you were trying to sell land, I guess, no. And when did that point come to you when you said, oh, things are working. I mean, what we're doing is actually working. Part the point that I can't believe it. it. It's it's you know it's coming true. The land is. Achieving its value. Where was that point when you stopped? And said this is going to work. I think you know uh, every year we have a we have a planned um, lot sale, and you know, over the years we'd say uh, okay, we'll we'll offer this property for sale. You know this this much area. Then over the years, every time you know at the beginning of the year, we I'd ask our leasing or our marketing like how many people are are in line to to buy the land, and it became from one person to like five five companies to ten companies, then twenty companies like. And we're only selling, you know, one parcel, and it's it was pretty fast. Like if you don't want, if you don't accept this offer, we're gonna pass to the next one. Then they'll say, no, 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 we'll I'll make a reservation right right now. That that's that's when we saw the the you know the demand. And I think at the end of the day, you know, the three rules of real estate: location, location, location. And I mean, it's something that you can't take away from from Asiana. I mean, it's just a it's just a prime location for for development. I mean, considering you know the major infrastructures within the area, obviously the existing. Uh, the existing uh, developments, I think it's just a just a very prime landmark, and you want to be sure that we're able to extract the most value and alpha from from that property. And uh, the way we extract value is it's not through selling or leasing that; it's through development, and that's what we're doing now. I, I recall, so it it started to pick up in about 2004. Am I right? 2004. It that's when things started started picking up already for the in terms of sales from from yeah. land to becoming a. I guess development already. Is that's right? that's, when, that's when that's when the inquiry started coming. You know, sorry, from the gas stations to again SNR to the one two story restaurants. Then it just picked up from there. You know, um, some developers would buy to build condos. Then you know, slowly and surely, you know, just development started to pick up, and you would see and just by the number of tower cranes that you would see in the area, not just in Asiana but within the Manila Bay area, you would see that there's increased development. Yeah. And then obviously when the when the casino started coming. Then more people, obviously, a lot of international, uh, a lot of international people also started coming. Then that's when we saw increased demand, not just in land, but also in condos, in offices, in uh, the ground floor uh, restaurant and retail spaces. And, and having said that, no, okay, if this is a family business, right? So, and you guys all seem to be involved. Was it something? And I'm talking because right now I want to wear another hat, like somebody else doing in you know real estate. My family was in the real estate business. Was it something that? You were sort of mandated to do when you went to college. Took up management economics. You said, "Okay, you have to, you have to support the family business. You all have to to, to work over here." Was it, was that sort of something that was uh, ingrained in you growing up? Not, not really. You know, I'm, I mean, I don't know how, how it is with that, but you know, obviously, my uh, our you know my my dad wanted us to work with him. You know, when when I graduated, it was just per chance. I graduated in in, in two thousand. That was the time that Ashana got finished reclaiming, and there was. <laughs> You know, there was nobody to to man the real estate the, the, the development department. But you know, that being said, I, I didn't work for the family when I when I first died. I worked outside. We were all required to work outside before 
joining the family business. And uh, you know that, that's what we that's what that's what happened. Um, I I was probably employee number two next to the guy who knew all the titles, who was the one. <laughs> I was probably employee number two. Then you know it slowly grew from there. You know I started hiring to people to lease. Then started hiring architects. Then urban planners. Then now we have interior designers, engineers, so project managers. Then it just grew from there. Okay, uh, this is that's interesting. So literally, almost, uh, almost, literally, almost out of college, you joined the family business. But of course, you did your two-year mandatory stint outside before coming yeah. in. Is that right? And did yeah. You did you, were you also doing real estate sales before coming joining the family business? Yeah, yeah. So I was in, I was with a, a company called uh, CB Richard Ellis. So. Uh, it was a um, a real estate uh, international real estate services provider so i i learned a lot about leasing and selling property uh, in in that company and you know i was able to take that with me you know going to our family business and that was intentional for you to work for cb richard ellis in preparation to work for the family business no not really it wasn't necessary to work for me for that particular company we were all required to work outside uh, before joining the family and, and you know even even for us i don't think i would recommend to people who have family businesses to immediately join. I think it's important to get exposure, to not be, to not come in as an owner, to, uh, to, be, to be able to, uh, to uh, learn what it's like to work for other people before working for your own. Hi, I'm Misha, and I'm inviting you to listen to IMAP Digipod, the Internet and Mobile Marketing Association of the Philippines' first ever podcast. Listen in on our topics and conversations in the advertising and marketing industries and learn from the best from all over the world. This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia and powered by Podmetrics. And I like that because that's a sort of mentality that, that you, you need to have, I guess, if you work for family business, like for myself, I, I worked for, for Procter & Gamble in, in brand before actually jo- and did my master's before I actually joined, joined the family business. Now, for, and, but, and what you did was you, you actually worked in a company where the value added that you could bring to DM Wenceslao uh, was very good. You, you had real estate background before. Uh, you had good real estate training uh, before, advisory services before entering into, uh, into the family business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, I think it's just one of the skills that, uh, that, uh, that we needed to, uh, to be able to grow the business. Obviously, you know, if you're looking at the whole real estate development process, obviously you start from planning to, uh, construction to project management, then to leasing, selling, property management. Slowly as the years went by, we started adding this, uh, these competencies to our, to the company by adding people that, that from one person and then it became a department. And now we're, we have not just managing the buildings, but also managing the estate also. So we slowly added these things to, to the company so that we were able to take on, you know, much bigger projects. And even right now, you know, we're, we're looking at other townships also aside from Asiana and it'll be easy for us to be able to just transfer the knowledge that we have. Exactly. Exactly. Planning, building, operating and managing township to another location. And having said that, no. Uh, the company was growing 2000, 2004. You were there to see the, the growth and you started hiring people. But then amidst all that one, you decided to, to do a master's in real estate development. I mean, that, that, that for me, it's like, parang, it's like, you know, I was saying, wait, wait, I, we got to work on this. And all of a sudden you left. Was it with this blessing? Of course, it was with this blessing, but was it reluctant or was it something that you really want to do to sort of like take a break or, or gain more knowledge? What was it like mm-hmm. for you during that time? Nothing. I mean, I, I don't know, RG, I mean, maybe I'll ask you also, but, you know, I realized that finance was one of my, you know, was one of my biggest, biggest weaknesses, explaining to banks how and why a project would, you know, would be able to recoup its investment, to be able to get, to, to, to explain to banks how to get loans and to create a financial model, to create a, finan- a financial plan and projections. So this is something which, to be quite, wrong, to be quite frank, I, I didn't know. Nobody in the company also will teach me how to do it. So, so it was something that I, I realized that I don't know. So after doing some research, obviously, you know, I don't know how you know, but obviously we, I saw that, uh, uh the MIT was one of the best, uh, in terms of pro- providing that, uh, that gap in, in, in terms of my, my capability. That's why I decided to apply. Wow. If you don't want me asking RJ, what, what was your process when you, when you, uh, know, when you, when you did your masters? Is, is it, cause you know, you, you also have a family basic business. People don't know because people know you as, as this <laughs> Of everything from Mercado to wedding <laughs> but uh, what was your no, no, what was your uh, what was your thought process when you when you decided to go? 
No, well, actually, I often tell the story that when I applied, I actually wanted to apply for Harvard Business School. And <laughs> the, the, the year before that one, so I, I applied, you know, I, I worked I, for many people. I guess, but you can, you can relate to this one. No? My ultimate dream was that, you know, I would finish my, you know, after finishing college, two and a half years worth of, of working for a multinational and get into hopefully Harvard or any of the top Ivy League schools. And then... What happened was that I went to a multinational. I did my GMAS. I thought I got a fairly good score. I applied for Wharton, for for Kellogg, and for Harvard. And when I applied for each one of them, you know, at the time, hindi pa usoy masadong email, so it's like a physical submission. Yeah, you had to submit by uh, you know the documents. And then, but the first time I got my my letter, it was the first one that came from Wharton, and it was a thin letter. And when I opened it up, it said, "Mr. Ledesma, we regret to inform you that you didn't get in." I was going, "Oh my God!" You know, I. I, you know, I, I was surprised, you know. I thought, you know, I had a good academic background and work background. And then the second one is I, I got a letter again from from Northwestern. And that's, it's Kellogg, which is known for, for marketing. And I was doing brands. So I thought, okay, this would be a shoe-in. But again, the letter said, we regret to inform you, but we did not accept you. And then finally, I got the third letter far from Harvard, which was like my dream school. And again, the letter was thin. And I didn't know what was going to happen. So... I, you know, I very carefully opened up the letter and it said, Mr. Ledesma, you're one of the 10% that we are considering for this batch. You can either do a phone interview or a live interview in Harvard for about five minutes, right? And me being a public speaker and everything else, I said, let me try to impress them and fly over there for that five minute, five minute interview. I told them I flew over there and I thought I gave a really good talk. But then two weeks later, I received the letter saying, I'm sorry, you weren't accepted. So pretty, you know, so, but... After the time, it gave me time to to step back and, you know, I first uh, resigned from my job and helped out the family business because this, this was amidst the Asian economic crisis when, that, when this was happening. And I went back to research and I found out that there were actually real estate development degrees. And I was surprised because I was saying this is just so apt for the family to do this one. So there was Columbia and there was um, MIT and I applied for both and I got in. And I guess the rest is history. You know, it was very, very good because I mean, got many good friends who've done the programs like uh we've got uh, uh we've got uh, the, uh we've got the head of Sebulan uh, masters actually uh, franco uh, franco, yeah, franco yeah. yeah franco soberano went did colombia rufino did uh, raymond, raymond rufino did of course he also did colombia and and myself and and you and cholo kailao we we all did mit and it's it's, a, it's been a really great experience of what we learned over there and brought it back over here especially you know i learned about reits uh, real estate investment trusts almost 20 years ago because I graduated in 2001. And can you imagine we're just doing REITs r- right now? <laughs> so, yeah. you so, know, you know, my, my, my thesis, my thesis uh, for, our, for, our, no, for our program was on REITs. And this was when they passed, you know, yeah, this was when wow. they passed in 2008. And it's only now that we're doing it. Yeah. I, I wrote about the seven for those, for if you're a real estate nerd or a geek, mine was on establishing a secondary mortgage market in the Philippines. So I guess maybe if you if you had my paper, you could have just taken my paper, taken some of the research material and then, then used it as well for uh, for what you were doing there. So very interesting story how, how we started off with that degree and, and how it, you know, for you, it launched your, your real estate career. For me, it, it launched many different things when I came back over here. But going Absolutely. back to you, Buds, when you were there in the States, did there come a point for you? And I hope you don't mind me asking that you were yeah. saying, hey, this is a break for me. I can actually, because you're given a, you can, you can actually work in the States for a year after getting your graduate degree there, right? I mean, that your visa allows you to do that one. Did you have that notion where you said, maybe I should stay here a bit longer and, and learn a bit more? Maybe it's a bit of an escape for me first before coming back home or maybe even staying there for a couple of years? Well, actually, you know what? I, I mean, I graduated in 2008. So this was the, the, the global, the mortgage financial melt, melt, meltdown. So it, it wasn't a good time to consider going there. But, you know, at the same time, you know, having had classmates here, I don't know if you've had this epiphany, but, you know, some of the things, obviously, I want what I want. The only thing I could probably do there was probably finance, you know, because it's, it's very universal. Um, development, you know, it's it's more. I think it would be more in tune, especially for Boston for for locals. Like, yes, yes, need, exactly. We need to know people in, in you know in the in, in the Boston Redevelopment Authority, and you know we didn't know anybody from there. But, you know, one of the things uh, I learned was that after having had have so many classmates, that I'm okay in finance, but it, it wasn't my strong point. For me to be able to do development, I really need to come home. And, you know, after spending about a year and a half there, I think it, it was just, it was just time. I, I felt that it was time for me to come home also. 
and, and that and that says something, I guess, about and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I get this feeling that really, when you do development, in particular real estate development, it's not just the skill sets, right? It's in each country, particularly, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a little yeah. bit different because the permitting process is different, the construction mm-hmm. process is different. I mean, the states, it's all technology, right? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know? Uh, it's all about technology over here. We're, we're, we're labor intensive in our construction. I mean, many different yeah, things. I think, yeah. you know, I mean, in terms of free estate, development is very local. You yes, know, agree. In the sense that a Boston developer, if he goes to New York, would probably not do as well. Or, you know, development, recent development is local, but, you know, maybe finance can, you can do international, you know, if, you, if you're doing acquisitions or you're, you're doing, you're doing asset management. But yeah, I mean, if you literally just want to go and build stuff, I think you need to be in a place where you know a lot of people, you know the practices, um, you have a lot of connections. So I think that that's something which uh, which I which I found to be more attuned to towards uh, what I wanted to do. And you know, I mean, considering considering what what we're already doing, I just I just felt that it was uh, I think it was time to go home. And every time I see you know when I got back within one year, I had already broken you know we had already broken ground on our first office building. I mean, if I had stayed, I don't know how long the the permitting process. Would have taken, you know, in, in, in other countries, sometimes the permitting process takes years to, to get done. Yeah. Wow. Well, it, well, well, it sometimes takes years here as well in the Philippines, unless, uh, like you said, no, it's, it's real estate sometimes in the Philippines and development is really whom you know and how well you're able to, to work your connections over here. I mean, that's just the reality of the game, I guess. No, it, would you, would you agree with that, Buds? Yeah. I think, I think it goes for all countries. I mean, it's just, for uh, countries, easier, uh, it's for development, I think it's just easier. Or uh, it's easier to do it when you're when you're uh, when you have all of your networks in place. Yeah, and like they say, you know, uh, when you say real estate developer, it's not just one thing. It's sort of like you know, I mean, there's a big book on real estate development. But if you look at the role of a real estate developer, it's I've had Cesar Wee on this show. I've had the people like Pete Felix of, of Finma and, and Jerry Choa, one of my idols from Pro Friends. I mean, real estate developer is not just construction you have to have diff- so many different skill sets just to do what you're doing diba right? yeah i mean i'm pretty sure you know as an entrepreneur yourself rj you're you're wearing so many hats you know i'm pretty sure in all of these businesses that you have you're sometimes a lawyer you're sometimes an accountant you're sometimes a broker you're sometimes an hr manager you're sometimes a, a friend you know all of these hats that you have to wear for for, for all of these businesses so even right now i mean in uh, in our company i mean it's uh, it's one of the it's one of the thrills of being an, an entrepreneur that you get to you know you get to do so many things so many varied things yeah, it really stretches you. I mean, it stretches you as an entrepreneur and it, it stretches you as a business person because there's different challenges uh, every day <laughs> working in real estate. I guess that's, yeah. And, and Please. Yeah, if you don't mind me asking, like, like how do you do it? Like, I see that, like, you know, you're, 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 you're doing so many, so many different things. I mean, how, how, how do you get to manage all of these? Sometimes, you know, when I'm feeling lazy, then your one of your feeds come up and they're like, oh my god, RJ is like the busiest man in, in Facebook. <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to get off my butt and start working because whenever I see all the things you do, I, I feel like, oh my god, I'm so lazy. But RJ is RJ is always is, is doing so many things. So. No, I guess when I when I look at people like you, but it's really that you know different. I call it ways to success. The W A Z E to success. I mean, there are many different routes to get to where you want to be, where you consider your, your, your own definition of successful. And uh, I often look at people like Injapsia. Why? Because if you look at Injaps model, right, for, for success, remember, Injap started off selling out of the back of his car in Iloilo, his chicken in a sal, right? I think he's actually, I can be corrected if I'm wrong, but a college dropout because he wanted to sell. He was such entrepreneurial, right? And he built that business big enough to irritate Jollibee that they bought him out. And basically, he used that money that he generated from there to put up Double Dragon, right? And then from there, Double Dragon, he put up Mary Mart. And, and I'm just thinking that, you know what, there are many ways to do in real estate. And for me, I, it, it was, you know, staying in the family business. Mine was to say, maybe I have to step out of the family business, gain a lot of experience, build the network because your network is your net worth. And hopefully, with everything that you've gained, you're able to bring in something to the business that wasn't there before. Because in real estate, it's highly competitive. If you don't have the capital to do it, what more can you offer that others cannot? And sometimes innovation comes from seeing what other people are doing in other industries and bring it into your own. I mean, if you look how, if you look at how Injap did Double Dragon, he was taking knowledge that he gained from the franchising industry 
and brought that into doing uh, into Double Dragon, you know? And the way it's been flipping properties is, is exactly, you know, if you come, if you're doing franchising, it makes perfect sense, right? But if you came from a purely real estate background, things didn't make too much separate. It, it wasn't something that you'd look at. Eh? So that's why for me, um, I do all these different things because I'm trying to gain experience outside. And hopefully the ultimate goal is to go back to real estate development. I love this bus because it's the first time I'm, I'm actually getting interviewed by my by my subject. And this is really good. So <laughs> I like, thanks, yeah, yeah. thanks, for, thanks for asking me as well. And, and I'm glad to, to share this story over here. Now, having said that, but, you know, I mean, this is the other interesting thing. So w- when you came back, the value of an MBA or a master's degree nowadays because of the startup world, because of everything. I don't know how how valuable it was as, you know, like maybe is an MBA as valuable as it was before given the startup world, given the ease of, given all the, you know, it's easier now to, to, to learn things online. What is the value of that, of that, your, your master's degree? Did it really help you a lot when you came back over here and talking to banks? Did you learn? Because sometimes I found that, you know, it, it's so advanced sometimes that when you bring it back here, especially for the finance portion, it wasn't quite something that, that, that could be applied. But what was of use? Was it also the connections that you made that, that helped you out a lot when you finished the degree? I think if there's one thing I learned, you know, that, that I'm taking with me and helping me do whatever, whatever it is I'm doing right now, you know, it's the value of making data-driven decisions. I don't know how... I don't know if, if you also see this, RJ. I mean, one of the things I learned is that you can compete for anything. You can compete for probabilities on sensitivities on what happens when, let's say, these rates go down, when your construction cost goes up. So all of these things, you know, I take with me. And I think it, it, was, it was from a Michael Bloomberg book, right? That said that said that for for everything, have faith in God. For all else, you should have you should trust in data, right? So it's, it's something something to that effect. So I, you know, it's something even even with my even with my, you know, with my marriage, I say, you know, okay, you're, you're recommending this, but where's the data that supports it? it and it, it's something I, I, I always still enforce or still implement with, with all of my major business decisions to make sure that the decision I'm making, especially financial decisions, is something that's backed up by data. And that's something that I wouldn't have learned if I didn't see how MIT would teach you. Obviously, some of it is, you know, um, using basically a bazooka for a, for a kill a fly, right? But, in, in essence, you know, having been trained to do all of these analysis, at least helps you get to the, the small decisions. And to the big decisions, you know, having that there, you know, that you can always get, get back to it. Is that, is that something that, that, that you've taken with you, RJ? I mean, yeah, having... Yeah, having- actually right now, especially right now, I work a lot in the startup world. And many of them are so, I mean, unlike before, they're so data-driven right now because oh, there's so much more data available now than before. And you know how data analytics actually plays a larger part in what we're doing right now than before. I mean, I can see how it's really key in the real estate industry and, and, how, and how it's really forming decisions and that data is going to be king uh, in the next couple of years. I mean, pretty soon, Buds, I'm sure that you in, in, in Ashana will have to have a data scientist right now to sift through the data eventually that you're going to be, be needing to make decisions about the area. And that's good. And I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. You know, um, even right now, so we've, we've, we've plugged in, you know, sensors for, for, to analyze traffic in the area through the, through the CCTVs. But, you know, we're still, you know, big data is, is, is still very, uh, it's still a nascent technology and we're still studying how to harness that data. Wow. And, and now I want to talk about something a bit different right now. And I, and I find this very interesting and we've had this conversation is that you're, you're, you're 41 years old and, and all your brothers are, are older than you. But you're the CEO of the company and your dad is like the chairman. So basically, they've given you the seat to help manage the company. And for other people, they would find that, you know, why, why give it to the youngest to, to run the business? I hope you don't mind me asking, you know, because this, this might be a, a very sensitive issue. But why give it to the youngest person to run the company? Does it also cross some fr- friction, I guess, uh, amongst amongst the siblings and even with your dad? I mean, I'm very proud of, of what you're doing, of course. No, But then, I mean, tell me a bit more about that one. I mean, that must have been a very... Uh, very equitable process of deciding. Okay, budget to run the company. So, um, just just so we're you know, really, obviously, uh, as as the CEO, I'm the more or less the the mouthpiece. You know, I'm the one who who does the interviews. I'm the one who fronts the analysts to explain the balance. But looking at it from a business standpoint, that's because real estate, which I handle, is already ninety percent of the business right now. It just makes it um, easier to explain to um, our partners, our bankers, and everybody what the business is about. But that being said, you know, um, it's still largely run by committees. You know, all the governance things that we that we put in when we went public, 
you know, I, I have a, I have a fully functional board. We have independent directors provide input. So all of the major decisions are still course through our executive committee and our, in our board. It's just that I'm the one implementing everything, but you know, me and my brothers, the way we see ourselves is obviously we are part owners. Uh, we are, we are owners of the business, but we're mostly stewards of the business. And what I mean by stewards is that we realize that this, this is a, a business that we will pass on to the next generation. So we are making sure that we're putting in the work that the company is financially and structurally better than when, when we took it over. So even right now, we're already seeing, we're trying to make sure that we increase the professionals in the company, the professional managers, just because we know that by the time that we're all of retirement age, you know, the next youngest Wenceslao is still going to be pretty young, like in his 20s. So we need to ensure that the line of, um, of professional managers who will manage the business is there. And that's something that we're preparing, even though it's going to happen 20 years from now, even right now, we're already preparing for that. Wow. So um, g- given that one, how, how exactly does the management, is it like a, sort of like a management by by you and your siblings discuss, okay, the decisions or, or is it something that... Uh, your dad still comes in and says, "Okay, I want it this way." I mean, uh, help me, help me run through. Uh, that's because this because this is very interesting for me. I hope you don't mind me asking. So, day to day operationally, it's already uh, it's already my our generation was running along with obviously with our professional managers. We prefer to obviously hire professional managers who are you know who are experts. I mean, the you know our 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 CFO is a it's a CPA lawyer, so we we are making sure that the best people run. The, the the respective department, regardless of their last name, and moving forward, we you know we foresee that more and more people who aren't Wednesday styles will be running, you know, specific business lines. That's what we foresee in the future, and you know, I mean, we have the, you know we have different people running you know different companies, but obviously the major decisions on how much we're building, how much we're selling, you know, that that's that's basically decided on a on a committee basis, and it's uh, it's still, still yeah it's still um. I mean, it's still run most mostly by uh, by the entire by the entire family, with obviously with input from our professional managers. But there's not, you know, moving forward, there's never gonna be, you know, there's never gonna be one person that says I'm the boss. Every everyone follows me. No, it's it's not like that. It's it's more or less run on a committee basis. Yeah, you know, I, before everything else, I just want to say this, Buzz, that I'm very inspired by you and very motivated by you. You know what? Uh, to me, you know what? Uh, I've always looked forward to becoming a real estate developer where I'm running the show. But, you know, I think it's going to take a bit more time until I get there in terms of maturity and capital. But then, when I look at you, I, I'm impressed by people like you, like like Cesar, uh, like like Raymond, Cesar Wifuicom, like uh, Raymond Rufino, like Carrie Lagdameo of, of the Mosalan. So many of you, uh, you know, making big decisions, really helping, you know, power you know, helping power the economy, being a great multiplier. I know that recently you also had, you had a great deal also as well with, with Carrie Lagdamey, who, who I hope to have on the show very soon. What was that deal that you guys had with Carrie that was that was very good in Makati? Uh, you know, so we uh, so we basically, I think, uh, just purchased an, uh, uh, an existing asset of theirs that they wanted to unload. Um, it, was, uh, it, was, uh, it was something that I think they've, uh, they they wanted to unload um, for some time. And, you know, as luck would have it, you know, I mean, I was friends with Gary and I, I, uh, I called him up and I asked, you know, if, if it's still, if the opportunity was still open, we would like to make an offer. And if you're dealing with the uh, straightforward people, you know, I, I think Gary and I closed a deal within like two or three meetings just because we both uh, trusted each other that we would get the deal done fast and pretty easily. And, you know, I, if I could do, do more deals like that, especially with people like Gary, like the mayor, I mean, uh, I would be, I would be, it was, it would be a great opportunity. Fantastic, and and so this is one project where actually it was not anymore technically within what you guys you guys used to do. I mean, before it used to be first land developer, uh, reclaimed land developer, now residential developer, office developer. Now you just technically just bought something outside of uh, outside of uh, Ashana. How does yeah. that all fit into the strategy of of, of uh, what you guys have been doing with DMSs now and Ashana? Yeah, so you know, like what like what I said, um, RJ, the the skill set and execution set that we have. It's pretty easy to already transfer that in other locations. So even that property that we bought, we are planning to obviously in the future tear it down and build something more dense. Uh, I see, um, I see. We're actually doing another project also on, in Makati, Jupiter Street. So again, if we see good properties that are available, like, it's so easy for us 
within at least within the you know within Metro Manila to be able to do that already. And it's uh, it's uh, it's something that we're continuing to do as long as we find the opportunities to uh, invest and diversify in other locations. Fantastic. And having said all that, buds, you know, I mean, I wish we had more time in the world. I would I would go on for two hours talking to you right now uh, on, on the podcast. Is that you know to have uh, a unique perspective where you were able to see many business opportunities in real estate, whether it be sales or development, or also affiliate industries, you know, industries that, that intersect with real estate or that, that emerge from real estate. I often ask people here in the show, what are the what are the opportunities that you're seeing emerge in the next normal or for the real estate industry that you, if, if you weren't doing what you're doing right now, you would pursue it? What are, the, so what are these opportunities you're seeing that are emerging that are very exciting for you that, you know, if, if, if you had the time or if you could make two buds, you would be getting into those businesses. Well, we're, we're actually in the planning stages of it just, um, just right now. But I think, you know, we, we mentioned because of what's happening with the pandemic. So obviously mobility was, was, was affected. And that's why we're, we're planning a lot of public spaces. But one thing that we're seeing also that, you know, that, that township developments need is affordable housing. You know, I mean, if you think about it, most of the major CBDs, in terms of being able to accommodate the retail and service people that are, you know, manning the stores, you know, those people live two hours away, three hours away. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you, if you're to become a truly, you know, pandemic resilient city, those people live to be able to, to be able to live near. So actually right now we're, we're planning, um, product to be able to accommodate the workers who man the shops, who man the restaurants, who man the, the services. Of, of Asiana and it's all it's also going to be within Asiana since we have a lot of interim uh, land use a lot of land that's uh, we're, planning to use it, we're planning to do it on an interim basis so sort of like a socialized condominium you do socialized housing you do a socialized condominium wow that, that's a really and that's a big picture because people don't realize that in the Philippines right now there's a 7.5 million housing backlog and it never works when you when you relocate people from specific areas away from their places of work that's when you get that's where you get squat that's when you develop informal settlers uh, yeah, that's when, yeah. if you relocate people to locations where there's no jobs that, that's when the situ- that's when it doesn't that's when the housing strategy doesn't work so what you're doing right now is, is very on strat, making sure that not only develop the city, but you make sure that the ecosystem of the city works very well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, when we were, you know, just, just came from several like um, requests from some of our office leaders that since they were all here in the office and they didn't want their people coming home and being exposed, they asked, yes. and they asked to use the offices to sleep also, to use some of their available space for, you know, for people to sleep. And, and you know, most office buildings don't allow but during the pandemic, we we allow just just to be able to accommodate. But again, we see this need that uh that that's not being met right now in some of the cities, just because you know the prices are so expensive. It needs exactly, to be able, exactly. you know it needs to be able to have um to be to be able to have a product specific to that particular requirement. And it's exactly I mean that's just thinking like an entrepreneur, right? First, it, it seems like it's an irritation, but it's actually a pain point. You go, oh, you know, yeah, they got to sleep here. But then if you, if you think like an entrepreneur, you go, Hey, they have to sleep here. Let me wear my entrepreneurial lens. Hey, that's a great idea. Let's, let's, let's put something up for them because there's a underserved segment. There's, there's a demand for it. And if your employees could use it, other people's employees could use it just as well. Right. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, you know, we actually saw some models of it in the manufacturing, manufacturing hubs, right? Obviously for factory workers. So why not for, for service workers in, in the city, you know, like obviously for waiters, for janitors and all of those people. So, yeah, I, I think there's definitely going to be a demand finding the right product. It's something that we're still, uh, doing R&D on. Wow. Really great idea, Buds. And then I guess the, the last thing I want to end with is, you know, what's really next for Ashana City and for DMSS Lao? Because, you know, I, I know that, you know, there's so much property that you still develop. Like you said, there's about 57 hectares still worth of property that is ripe for development. Maybe in your lifetime, you won't be able to finish all of that. But uh, what's next? Will you guys also be developing, uh, you know, to my mind, because you're developing a lot of commercial properties, those can be turned into, into REITs, right? You're doing office space that can be turned into REITs. Uh, even, even your residential, if you do the socialized housing, that can be turned into a socialized housing REIT. Is that something that you guys are also looking into as well? Absolutely. You know, having done my thesis on REITs, <laughs> I mean, we have a company actually that's, you know, that's doing, that's where all the commercial recurring income properties are. That being said, you know, I don't think uh, we're at the right stage right now. We still have roughly 40% of our IPO, IPO proceeds that we haven't utilized. So we're still going to use that to build our existing pipeline. But 
you know, maybe three years, four years down the line, it's something that will definitely, uh, it's something that will definitely explore. Wow, thanks a lot, Buds. The future looks really bright for you guys, and I'm so glad that you and the rest of the Wenceslaw family are at the helm uh, of doing this project. Uh, I, I wish you good health because you're going to need it for the next couple of years to see this through. And uh, glad to work with you and find ways to collaborate with you to help make the Ashana dream a reality. So again, thank you so much, Buds Wenceslaw. What Buds Wenceslaw? I'm looking forward to interviewing more great property developers as young and as dynamic as you here on the RJ Ledesma podcast. I hope you guys all enjoyed the podcast and you've, if you've learned a lot from it, please subscribe and invite more friends to listen to the RJ Ledesma podcast. Again, thanks so much, Buzz Mrs. Lau. We will see you guys again next week. Thank you. Thanks, RJ. Thanks for having me. Thanks. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.